Football is very much back, and right now, Bet365 offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, and anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. We've got wall-to-wall football in the Premier League, and games are coming pretty much every single day. And the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals, and where you can create your own personalised bet. If you can't watch a game live, then do not worry. The Bet365 Match Live features can be used on the app and you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play or the Apple App Store. Remember, over 18s only and please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to From the Rooker End, brought to you by The Athletic. My name is John, with me is Jason. Hello there. And from within the ground of Vicarage Road, that place we once used to frequent, is Mr Mike Parkin. And I can confirm here from Vicarage Road that the W in Watford stands for win. Correctamundo, because we are minutes after Watford winning 2-1 at home to Norwich uh, in what was always going to be a six-pointer, which if you read our WhatsApp group, if we didn't get the win, then the world was literally, would have ended <laughs> about two minutes ago. Uh, there was no point going on. Uh, and that wasn't just Mike, everybody. That was several of the people <laughs> in the group. Um, Mike, Jason and I were chatting uh, during the game. Was that the first time? When was the last time we came back from behind to win a game? Yes, a long time ago, wasn't it? I'm not, I'm not sure is the honest answer. I haven't done my practice. Jason said, w- w- which game do you reckon, Jason? Well, there was obviously Wolves in the Cup semi-final, but in the league, I'm trying to think, was Spurs the last one or have we come back yeah. from behind since then? Yeah. I wonder if it was Spurs, yeah. Yeah, it sounds about right. That's my favourite thing. I've just thought of one. Oh, go did, on then. Did, Palace away, did we go behind in that one? And oh, come we back did. And win 2-1? Well we done, did, Jason. we did. Well done, Jace. I bet there's another one, but we'll, we, won't, we won't kill ourselves over trying to remember it. Um, but it was a game which started with the players walking on to Z Cars. The first time we've heard it played across the, the Tannoy at Vicarage Road since the restart. We know how bad it, it went, Mike, last year when there was no Z Cars. Uh, it returned and things were better. And, well, were things better today? Well, yes, of course they were. Watford have won a must-win game. And I know we, we can't just say, yeah, Watford have won. Good. End of podcast. See you next week. Uh, we will look at the performance. But ultimately, all that mattered here was that Watford picked up three points and, and they've done it. And how they've done it is, I think, secondary in this situation. Because especially having gone behind to get back into the game, go on and win it and then, and then hang on to win it uh, is, is, is brilliant. You know, relegation scraps are not pretty. They're not fun. Um, and it's, you couldn't argue that this game was pretty or fun. But at the end of the day, the W's in the, um, in the scorebook and the, and there's three points on Watford's total. And, and that's all I care about. And having spent a lot of time being really miserable, uh, and really downbeat, I'm, I'm delighted. Absolutely delighted. And, uh, thank God, because you're not going to bring the rest of us down. By, uh, <laughs> I'll <laughs> still try. <laughs> but I, you know, I saw, I thought, brilliant Zed cards. We're going to go be a great start, Jason. But within four minutes, we were one behind because Norwich, uh, opened the scoring. It wasn't clean, was it? It wasn't what you want. No, I mean, I don't like to point fingers, but mine was pointing at Kiko straight away. Um, not long before that, he'd given away a soft free kick 
in the same part of the pitch and then he just sort of fell over trying to tackle the uh, I can't even remember it was who made the run through um, just just not what you need so they'd have, they'd have come out I'm sure with Pearson's words ringing in their ears about fight passion you know spirit and there was none of that in that challenge from Kiko and he just let the guy waltz through and uh, Messina probably didn't cover himself in glory too much as well too, too scared to uh, commit I think let Buendia turn it was a good finish he used Dawson as a a sort of shield so to, to hide the ball from Foster and curl it into the far corner it was a good finish but one that was preventable from our point of view I know it's only four minutes but Watford actually did start brightly they were um, they were sort of harrying and chasing and in, in Norwich's face as you'd as you'd expect and I thought you know this is I was infused um, John you mentioned Zed Cars and I think that was definitely a bid to sort of get a bit of unity and a bit of normality back to match day and the way Watford came out it was it was what you'd expect in a game like this and admittedly it only lasted for, <laughs> for four minutes before we went behind but there was a funny moment and just to remind you how weird it is at these uh, these behind closed doors games, Saar was having a bit of to and fro with um, with the left back down here in front of the Elton John stand, and the referee just stopped and went, "You two, pack it in!" <laughs> and you just heard it echo around. Um, you just heard it echo around Vicarage Road, and the whole place just burst into laughter. Both <laughs> subs benches both cracked up, and it was a sort of a rare moment of, uh, of brevity in uh, in a pretty intense situation. The goal, though, the, the equalising goal didn't take long, uh, which did help my my mood. Um, I, by the way, I did absolutely. I apologise to my family uh, on two occasions, as we know. Watford scored two goals. I absolutely scared the bejesus out of them uh, from standing <laughs> up, shouting, and clapping quite loudly. Uh, but it came with a with a Craig Dawson. Uh, magical header uh he we've sort of not come to know from him but it's it's becoming uh, a new normal mike yeah and you know we spoke to adam didn't we in the in the week about his piece in the athletic which reminded us that craig dawson does have goal scoring prowess and and there he was smuggling in at the back post and you know we, that if it looked like that was going to be the, the source of our, our success didn't it get down the right get the ball in and, and put them under pressure and uh, yeah it, it worked out well and I'm, I'm just so glad that they hit back so soon i think there was probably five minutes between between the two goals and it was really important that watford did that and yeah, good for I guess good for Craig Dawson's confidence because again we talked about him being a, a confidence player and not the not the noisiest of players and and that sort of stuff. So for him to get a second goal is uh, is good. It's gonna hopefully help him defensively as well. But yeah, for me, just hitting back so quickly was absolutely vital. And uh, yeah, thrilled to see it smuggled in at the back post there. That level things off as an equaliser does. That's why it's called an equaliser. Uh, but I suppose what you wanted, Jason, from this was okay, fine. We are the better team just about on the uh, across these last 30 odd games but we needed to see a little bit more from Watford we needed to see them grab the game did we grab the game in the right way for you no <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we did to be honest I was I was quite disappointed in the in the way that we played I thought we gave Norwich too much time and space I thought when Deer and Vrancic saw way too much of the ball, they were just sort of invited on sort of, they could pick the ball up from just inside their own half and then just sort of waltz through 
there were times where I thought they just seemed to skip past players too easy and we were then sort of chasing shadows a bit. And frankly, at times, I thought we were we were quite lucky. To, to interject, and good grief, I can't believe it's me being the, the positive one, but I did, I did think <laughs> Watford started pretty well, getting, you know, Sars or much more, more of the ball than, than he has previously. And, and another another thing that you noticed here, Nigel Pearson absolutely lost his rag when people weren't attacking the near post. One particular ball went in and, the, and there was no one there to, 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 to pressure Tim Krull. And I, and I actually thought there was there was glimpses from Watford. I think you're right, Jace. I think um, there was a, Norwich for for a team of their quality. And let's let's face it, it's clear to see why they're why they're bottom of the Premier League. Watford allowed them to look a lot better than they they, they really were, and gave them too much space and probably too much um, respect. But largely speaking, I thought Watford did ask questions, certainly in, initially, certainly early on in the game. And I thought, right, OK, I, I think we're going to gonna be in with a shout here. But, but ultimately, as the game went on, I think you're right, Jason, probably made it a lot harder than they than they needed to. Definitely got some role reversal going on here, Mike. <laughs> but you, I, mean, I, do, I do agree. It was, it was good to see Saar being involved in an attacking sense so much more. And it was a lot, lot better getting him down the, down the right-hand side. Like you say, the, the near post crosses that he was sort of constantly putting in, no one was attacking those. A lot of a lot of our crosses went to Tim Krull. Easy for him to uh, defend in a lot of cases. But if we'd have had someone attacking those, it, it could have been a lot more comfortable. Yeah, comfortable was never a feeling, but I wasn't expecting a comfortable feeling unless we got to 5-1. But <laughs> it, 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 the rest of the game wasn't comfortable. I just saw, you know, it, it was a le- definitely post the equaliser, Watford were passing it around a little bit more freely. The second half starts, and what must be the greatest goal ever scored at Vicarage Road, uh, Mike, uh, Danny Welbeck, uh, an overhead kick into the top left-hand corner uh, after it's sort of, a, not a great cross from the Tsar, uh, came off the, the Norwich player uh, high up in the air, and, and boom, it was in. I actually thought it was going over. I don't know why. That's my, that, maybe that's what I, I, I always think when a Watford player tries an overhead kick, apart from, of course, John Eustace. Or uh, Craig Dawson. Or Craig Dawson. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was going to be too spectacular. No, that never happens, but it, it, it happened and it was spectacular. Uh, and it, it was a, a, a great timing, I think, more than anything. Really important, and I think um, yeah, you mentioned Saar in the build-up. He did really well to to win the ball and to get down the right, and it looked like the chance had gone. And then he regained possession to to get the ball in. And yes, it did take a bit of a fortuitous loop, um, and you could see very very early on from the ball's trajectory what what Danny Welbeck was going to try and do, um, and he caught it absolutely perfectly. And it was a, a sublime finish, really really good. Um, Tim Krul, absolutely no no chance. It just sort of. Arc probably doesn't do it justice. It didn't loop. It didn't arc. It's sort of an arrow is probably a bit too, <laughs> uh, a bit too harsh. But it was it was perfect in that top top right hand corner, um, and will have done Danny Welbeck, who played well. I thought he put himself around well on that on that flank. Um, done him the absolute power of good. And you're right, John, to mention Watford are low on on confidence, and they played like it. This whole match was 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 a sparring sort of affair between two sides, obviously with wafer thin confidence. Um, so for you have to take positives like that. So for Danny Welbeck to score a goal like that, um, continue his ex- excellent scoring run against Norwich um, is is a huge boost for for us, not just in the in terms of points, but in terms of players realising what they're capable of in this side because Watford are better than this Watford are a better side than this and hopefully they can kick on from it but yeah it was a fantastic goal and, and I think it came and they're all, they all come at important times don't they but just coming so soon after the break 10 minutes in it gave Watford something to hold on to and I think 
whilst Jace is right, they weren't super impressive for the, the remainder. You know, did, Tim Krull had to make a, a stop from Tom Cleverley later on, I think. He sort of stung his palms, didn't he, with a decent effort. But apart from that, he wasn't called upon that much. But what I did love was the, the energy levels from Watford throughout. Um, I thought they worked really hard. Kiko for many, like you say, Jace had a bit of a wobble early on. But then from then on, I think I thought he was absolutely everywhere. Um, Will Hughes had another good game working really really hard I, I probably would have hooked him earlier if I was Nigel Pearson with him on a on a yellow card because he was flying around but then um, when Tom Cleverley came on as well I thought he was absolutely superb and we saw his workmanlike attitude and just his experience helped help Watford close the close the game down so yeah from the They've got wonderful, wonderful goal. A real treat for us Watford fans to finally see a thing of beauty like that. I think it's been a long time coming, hasn't it? A well-worked, decent goal. Um, and yeah, it gave us it gave us a platform and something to hold on to, which ultimately we did. Well, let's let's talk about how we held on uh, in a little bit. But but going back to to Welbeck as his full performance, Jason, not just that spectacular goal. You, you know, we spoke after the game at Chelsea and it was like, oh, weren't we better? We played him through the middle. I know that was after being, we were 2-0 down. He didn't start there. How was he sort of deployed today by, uh, by Nigel? Well, he was out, he was out on the left, wasn't he? But you did see him picking up central positions quite a lot. So with us getting Saar into the game a lot more and utilising him down the right hand side a lot more, Danny was getting into the box, trying to look to get onto the end of those crosses. Um, and I thought it was his best game that he's had for us on the left-hand side. I it was impressed with him today. Um, and not just the attacking work as well. I think attacking-wise, he was looking to run at people, looking to take people on. OK, didn't always come off, but, but when it did, it was good, caused good situations for us. But defensively as well, he was sort of tracking back, getting stuck in. He won a, a few uh, few tackles, I think, nicking the ball off uh, advancing full-backs. Um, so yeah, all round a good performance from Danny today. Mike, did you sort of well? Let, let's let's talk about about his one of his co-workers up front with him, uh, Troy <laughs> Deeney. You know, lots of people put those little uh, graphics together about what their lineup would be, and pretty much everyone I saw, I can't think of one I did see where Troy Deeney was included. You know, the call from lots of Watford fans, uh, right or wrongly, was well, we can only play one up front in the system, so therefore. Troy can't do it, therefore Welbeck's got to be the one up front. So Troy has to be out of the starting eleven. I don't think I ever saw that happening, just because that's a heck of a mental change and could really throw things off in, you know, in a dressing room at this crucial time. So I was sort of grateful in many ways that he didn't do anything knee-jerk. I was slightly disappointed because many of those graphics also had Jao Pedro starting, which was never going to happen, uh, not in such an important game. But was Troy utilised better and was he more Troy-like because he had Danny Welbeck with him for, for much longer? Did we see a partnership growing? Firstly, I think people are justified to to, uh, to suggest that Troy Deeney uh, should be arrested. I think the the way he performed on Chil- uh, at Stamford Bridge, it, it was un-Troy-like. He looked miserable. He didn't look at his best. And I think the way Watford played the game didn't necessarily suit one, one man up top on his own. Um, he was never going to get loads of chances, but it, it was a poor game by, by Deeney's standard. So I understand coming off the back of that, especially when Welbeck came on, he started make, make, make thing, making things happen, didn't he? So I understand the, um, the fans' desire to see a change there. We're, you know, taking a sort of slightly more scientific, cold, hard-headed look at the situation. 
if you're going to put Welbeck up front, like you say, John, it's going to that that would mean you either start Pereira on the left or, or Pedro on the left. And uh, um, Pearson's been loath to use João Pedro, and and, and uh, Pereira's been pretty grim when he's when he's come on for his little cameos. So you could probably work it out if you if you looked at it like you said, John. And then if you think about the, the who we're playing, Norwich City, probably with all due respect, as close to a championship side as we're going to play in this division. And we know that we know that Troy Deeney does well against these sort of sides. And he, uh, and I thought he actually did well today. He uh, he battled really hard. He won a lot of headers. Um, he, could, he was very vocal. He was he was active around the pitch. Um, and I think Watford benefited from having him on there. And, and I think Danny Welbeck benefited from him being on the pitch as well. His 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 play was supplemented nicely by Troy. And just getting Sar into the game as well, it makes that front three, that top three look like a threat because to, to be frank they haven't looked like a threat far too often uh, this season certainly after after lockdown it's been very very disappointing but at long last we asked a few questions so I understand the the, the frustration with Troy and I think um, I don't blame anyone for it but I thought he he did well tonight I think he did, he played his role that he was expected to do he won a lot in the air didn't score didn't get many shots off but yeah I think he had a big role to play Jason we haven't talked about Etienne Capoue uh, who did had an, as I said on Saturday, a very emotional game. Uh, he seemed to be uh, much better than Saturday, but still not full on caps. Yeah, I think you're right. There's probably not much more to add to that. I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head. It was certainly <laughs> better than than Saturday. We saw a few raking passes, not not massive amounts of, um, and he was getting stuck in, and it, it just seemed to be a more level-headed performance from him. Steps in the right direction, but but. If it was a school report, I think you'd say could do better. The, the end of the game, though, Mike, it was, you know, over half an hour uh, from the second goal to the end of the game. Uh, I think Ben Foster did some, not his best work, but some decent work <laughs> uh, in time wasting. Uh, Colin on our WhatsApp group shared a magnificent photograph of him hiding behind the sofa. Uh, I was definitely in full on uh, foot tapping mode. We seem to be w- wanting them to come on to us a bit too much. Maybe nearer 70 minutes, we were still driving and still trying, but the last 20, particularly for me, did seem to be we were on the back foot. But also, we didn't make any, we made two substitutions in the entire game. That surprised me quite a lot. It's difficult, isn't it? I'm just so, so relieved <laughs> that we won the game, so I'm loath to be too, <laughs> too critical. And, and of course, we were, like you say, John, you were tapping your toe, Colin was behind the sofa, the rest of us were sort of hyperventilating and, and stressing out. But, Norwich did have an opportunity to equalise, didn't they? The ball flashed across and, and the guy couldn't just put it away. And I think had they scored that, it would have been, been curtains. You'd have, you'd, I think Watford would have struggled to rouse themselves um, to go and score another another goal. So you have to mention that chance. So Norwich did come close to equalising. But lastly speaking, I thought just the, the tempo with, with which Watford played, whilst it wasn't particularly pleasing on the eye and whilst we didn't create loads of chances, we did make it very difficult for, for Norwich. And, uh, and yeah, they, we did invite them on a little bit, but I'd, not to the extent where it was a massive concern, I don't think. Um, I think we have to take into account just how fragile Watford's confidence is and so to give them credit for that for seeing the game through and just I thought the way they worked the way they motored around the pitch um, and then towards the end of the game they were sensible they kept the ball down the other end not just sort of sticking your bum out and, and trying to keep it in the corner but actually knocking the ball out making the triangles making the angles 
So I thought it was actually pretty intelligent for from Watford to, towards the end. And what what just thrilled me the most was just the work rate from all of them. Um, I think Firmino in particular was was absolutely exhausted. To the end, he was taking full exa- full advantage of the of the drinks break. Um, I just thought they worked hard, and I, and I thought they earned that result tonight from that from that level of um, just that effort level, uh, which which we've we've been critical about the last couple of days. But they they got in front, and I just thought they worked hard. And Norwich had that one chance, you know, with with twenty minutes half an hour to, to protect a lead. They're probably the opposition's always going to uh, always going to carve at least one chance, but that was it. Um, we we rode our luck a little bit. Uh, but but apart from that, I thought I thought Watford actually managed the game pretty pretty well. It's one of those games where we're never going to watch the highlights again. They just <laughs> had to get they just had to get it over the line, and and they've done it. Well, they did do it. I saw the New York Hornets on on Twitter said, you know, there's always that cliche thing they say post match managers. Every game's a cut final. It didn't feel like a cut final for me. I've been to one of those, um, <laughs> and it, it wasn't a great experience. And I I've definitely remember the the huge nerves I had. Uh, the first season of the Pozzos, that last game of the season against Leeds, I just, I, just, I was antsy. I felt this was more like a playoff semi-final, first leg, where <laughs> you've got to get ahead, you've got to do something because there's more to come. There's at least two more big games to go. And I think that's the, the encouraging thing, and that's the biggest thing I'm getting for this, is the encouraging feeling I have within me. But what what's going to make us better, Mike? Is it... More players with better ability? Is it going to be setting up slightly differently? Is it the fact that we're still lacking in, in certain positions? It's pretty simple for me, and this has been the issue all season long. We've been profligate in the final third. We've, um, and I think that's a bigger issue than our defence. I know a lot of people, and me included, have talked to, have talked about and pointed to our wobbly defence over, over the season. But I think we've, the, the amount of times we've found ourselves in decent positions down the flank, um, bought space, opportunity to, to put the ball in, um, to take a shot and, and we've wasted it far too often we've been absolutely profligate um, and we need to be better than, than that we need to be better with the possession we have we earn it um, in Ismail Assar they, we have got a, a, a talent who can just literally knock the ball past the defender and go past him I don't think there's anyone that can live with him pace wise so that buys us something straight away and we just have to capitalise on that we need to ask more questions of the opposition defence when we're in that that good area all too often we do the hard work um, the, the, the work that's been done on the training ground to, to release them down the down the flank comes comes to fruition and then it's wasted you know like I said Nigel Pearson was absolutely beside himself that no one was attacking the, the near post on a couple of those balls we need to be doing that we need to be asking more questions of defenders and making life a lot more uncomfortable for, for goalkeepers if we do that then we're in a chance you know we've got two games coming up Newcastle and West Ham Newcastle on a really really good run so probably they won't have anything to fear um, but but we've got players that should give them something to fear. And, and I just think we just need to take advantage of our good possession in that final third. We've wasted it far too often all season. Um, and now if we're going to get out of this mess, that, that's where we, we need to, to improve. And we can. You, you can do that quickly. And that's why I was talking earlier. I was labouring the point a little bit about confidence. Welbeck in particular getting his goal, just getting a win under our belts. You just, it feels better, doesn't it, the next game? It'll feel better for them going into the office tomorrow and, and training. They'll, they'll, they'll get out of bed easier and those little knocks and aches and pains will feel a little bit easier to shake off. So that's, that's where I think we need to, 
to, to win it. We can't do much about the defence. What we can do is be better in the final third. If we are better in the final third, then we'll give ourselves a really, really good chance of staying up. A podcast made by Watford fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. If you are yet to subscribe to The Athletic, then why not head over to theathletic.com forward slash rookeryend and sign up for a 30-day free trial. Go in, check it out, see what happens, and hey, you get to listen via the app to this here podcast without any adverts. But, of course, we try and harness the great things that The Athletic do by getting Adam Leventhal on to talk about all the things he writes about when it comes to Watford Football Club. But we also get the lowdown on what's going on at our next opposition and of course Saturday afternoon Watford take on Newcastle United. We got in touch with Chris Wall, who is one of the Newcastle United writers for The Athletic. And of course I started by asking him, are Newcastle fans surprised about how well they've been doing since the restart? No, I think a lot of Newcastle fans are quite surprised. Before lockdown or certainly before sort of March time, Newcastle had picked up a lot of results, but they always felt unsustainable. They playing football, which would be best described as turgid. I think they were very, 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 very poor on the eye, but then they were very fortuitous in many games, and it, and it got to a point, Tally, which I think that a lot of people felt probably wasn't reflective. I mean, they were bottom of basically every single statistic, where it was XG, goals scored, whatever it was in offensive metrics, they were, they were struggling. They'd managed to get to that stage, but Bruce changed from five at the back to four, two, three, one just before lockdown. And really since then, Newcastle have looked a lot better offensively and they've come back leaner and sharper. After lockdown, they've taken uh, eight points from their four games, possibly could have had a few more than that, scored 10 goals in four games when before lockdown they'd scored eight in the 13. So they've really ramped it up going forward. And I think part of that is to do with the change in formation, which has got a lot of their offensive players higher at the pitch, and primarily it's to do with Alan Sat-Maximan, who really has stepped up a level, and whereas early in the season, tricks and flicks, but maybe didn't actually hurt the opposition as he should have done, didn't do them the right parts of the pitch, now he's added a lot of assists and product goals to his game, and really he is one of the Premier League's in-form attackers at the moment. Seeing him, he was he was in discussion to be part of Watford, uh, possibility, and part of those conversations that go on that we never quite know about. We've got this slightly, slightly younger uh, Czar in in our in our in our, uh, in our squad who is was and, and sort of was our creative outlet. Do you think he's going to be found out fairly soon, or is he, is he a bit bit wiser to uh, to be able to to keep expressing himself? To a degree, I think teams will sort of work him out to an extent. They're starting to put two or three men on him, but. He is also very, he just has that ability to beat two or three men, even if they do come in around him. I think there's a lot of, there's been a lot of comparisons with uh, Triori at Wolverhampton Wanderers and also with uh, Wilfried Zahar at Crystal Palace. And I think that, I think that's very, they're, they're fair comparisons. He, I did a piece on him for the Athletic Early in the season, basically looking at his, his background and basically he, he learned football on the sort of streets of Paris and he's very, this dribbling that he has, he, he dribbles with his dog in the garden and he says, if I can beat my dog, then I can, I can beat a defender. And <laughs> so, uh, that's where he gets it from. So I think, I think they will, yes, undoubtedly they will figure him out to a certain extent, but I also think with 
just his ability to be a man is that it's 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 something you can't teach. It's something he's got, which is naturally gifted at. But the, the key for him is that is adding this end product, and it's not just beating the man. It's then making sure that 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 actually pays off, and that it really has a material effect for Newcastle. Early on the season, that wasn't happen happening. Recently, it has been, but over the course of his career so far, he's only twenty three. But over the course of his career so far, he's failed to do that consistently over long periods. So for him, I think it's almost that mentality thing of making sure that this now is going to be him consistently and if if so he will be a potent weapon for Newcastle but the issue for Newcastle is in another sense is they're massively over-reliant on him whenever he's come off in games in recent weeks Newcastle have looked a lot more of a blunt force when they haven't got Sam Maximan on the pitch he seems to be one of those one of those rare players that that all football supporters seem to like. I think he seems to enjoy playing the game, and I think people enjoy enjoy watching him. Hopefully, we won't enjoy watching him too much at um, at Vicarage Road in in the coming days. I read your your piece with interest, Chris, on the Athletic, talking about the, the turnaround that that Newcastle have managed to, to put together, specifically after lockdown, and they've scored well. Bucket loads of goals, really, since they came back compared to earlier in the season. Probably scored more goals than Watford have had shots since we came back. And you kind of alluded in the piece that it was they've managed to hang on to possession. They've managed to earn and keep possession a little bit bit more. From a Watford point of view, we, you know, we really are clutching at straws now. We're looking for any any positive we can take. So, do you think if Newcastle's game is is predicated on that on that possession, it might play into Watford's hands a little bit, allow Newcastle to play in front of them, and hopefully break it up and, and maybe hit on the counter? Is that something you think they might be susceptible to? Well, Newcastle have they were caught out against West Ham on the counter, a couple of defensive lapses, and, and Newcastle are looking quite tired at the moment. I mean, they've had five games in fifteen days. Uh, they've got a Man City on Wednesday as well. So I, I think there probably is that ability for Watford to exploit Newcastle on the counter-attack. One thing that's been interesting is since they've changed to four-two-three-one, there, there was a lot of concern that they needed to play with five at the back because they couldn't be defensively solid. They haven't conceded that many goals since they've done it, but in the last couple of games there have been a few lapses of concentration and starting to concede a few sloppy goals. So if Watford were looking for some sort of encouragement, I, w- I would say that would be probably it. That, that Yeah, to try and catch them on the counter-attack, get in and behind the full-backs if they can, because if they can do that, then, then Newcastle can be susceptible uh, to concealment. I mean, Watford really, if they're going to stay in the Premier League, they probably need to win this game. I think it's it's fair to say. Would you say they're in with a chance? I think they are. I mean, Newcastle are in a strange sort of position now where they've got 43 points. Realistically, last summer, given the turmoil that they were in when Rafa Benitez left and they lost more than 50% of their goals that this, in Jose Perez and Salomon Rondo leaving last summer. They signed a £40 million striker who really isn't the centre-forward and they've struggled for goals in that sense. So if, if you told most Newcastle fans that with five games to go that have 43 points, I don't think many of them would have believed you. So it's it's a strange sort of mental period Newcastle are in now. And, and uh, it was over the weekend when they were going to play West Ham, I said to a few people it wouldn't no scoreline would surprise me. It wouldn't have surprised me if Newcastle had won 4-0, lost 4-0, or drawn twos each. And I'd say that it's the same for most of the games coming up because... They seem to be playing with a freedom at the moment, but equally, I don't, I don't know if at some point the sort of focus may slip because they have already reached what was was their goal from from the summer really as to as to what they were going to do. And and given the uncertainty that that has been around Newcastle for months on end with the prospective takeover that still hasn't been ratified, I think that at some point things will start to shift mentally. I mean, Steve Bruce after the game of West Ham over the weekend 
got a little bit ratty for the first time when asked about that he's been asked about the takeover consistently and he can't really say anything because he doesn't know anything basically he snapped back at the reporter who asked it and said he was sick of the question so I think everyone at the club is a little bit sick of it all and perhaps minds will start to wander in, in, in the coming weeks and that could give uh, Watford a little bit of an opportunity it is obviously the the big story up there now, isn't it? Now that safety is secured, and one thing that there is a bit of a link between between Watford and Newcastle over the last month or so. There's been a bit of a, a bit of chatter that Matty Longstaff might be leaving Newcastle, with Udinese reported to to make an offer for for him. And obviously, when you hear Udinese, you think Watford and, and vice versa. So he could end up at Watford. That seems to have gone a little bit bit quiet, Chris, at the moment. Do you think that is because? They're, they're just everything's on pause and until the takeover is sorted. And if Watford were to end up with, with Matty Longstaff, what would they be getting? What of Newcastle's business essentially on hold at the minute? They, they can't make long-term decisions because the current owners don't well don't want to be here and don't expect necessarily to be here. But the prospective new owners still aren't in charge. So people, so the likes of Matty Longstaff, I mean, speaking to people in and around him over the last few weeks, they've made it clear all along they're not going to rush in any decision. They Why, why should they in, in many senses? Because as you say, if a takeover happens, then they can open negotiations with with prospective new owners, and, and, and the landscape may change. But also, there is an offer on the table from Udinese. There's interest in other clubs as well. So he he's looking at that and thinking, right, well, well, I don't need to rush in any decision now. I'll, I'll wait and see. And I think a lot of other players are doing the same. They've got three loan players at the minute who uh, don't know who's going to be in charge. Steve Bruce doesn't know if he's going to be here and what what he should be looking for in terms of strengthening the side. He doesn't have a clue about budgets. Um, obviously, we don't even know yet when the transfer window is going to open. So there's just so many uncertainties, and and so that is is really playing uh, a part in terms of everything that's going on in Newcastle United right now. And there is no medium or long term planning. But in terms of Matty Longstaff, if he was to leave and and if he was to go to Udinese and then potentially end up at Watford, uh, I think he's still quite raw. But he's a player who is it, obviously his brother Sean broke through just before him, and, and Sean's a bit more of a maybe a bit more technical, can play in the number 10 role as, as well as in midfield as, as being compared to Michael Carrick. Whereas Matty Longstaff, when Steve Bruce first arrived in uh, Wendy Castle on pre-season in China last summer, he basically said that he just saw this ginger lad run in the, around the middle of the pitch and he just you couldn't miss him because he was he was just everywhere and he's just a bundle of energy um, and he's just he's just that sort of midfielder who's a bit, a bit of an irritant for the opposition because he he just never stops but he also is very good at spreading play he's very confident on the ball he's always asking for it and so I think there's a player as, as I say he's quite raw in many ways but there is someone you can see developing there as to, as to, as to quite an all-round sort of midfielder and I certainly think um, for for a, if you could get him for a snip, then as a, as an England qualified player, I certainly if I was an op, uh, another Premier League side, I would potentially be looking at Matty Longstaff as someone for the future if he can't agree things with Newcastle. We're the Orns, you're the Orns. Come on, you Orns! Mike, you're at the game. It's it's just finished. It must be a, a buzz of activity. What's it like over Kids Road? Very quiet. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, we, uh, we, you'll be back there on Saturday, uh, lunchtime, when Watford take on Newcastle. I can just imagine looking at my phone at uh, half past 11, an hour before kick-off when the, the team's released, and it will be pretty much the same as that we started with. And I've actually not got a problem with that at all. 
No, same again for me. Um, it just feeds into that confidence thing. They they worked hard today. They all earned their all, all earned their positions. I think the one if I was going to be critical about anyone, I thought Nathaniel Chalabar struggled to to pick up the pace when he came on. And there was one moment when it was all a bit hasem jasem in the centre centre of the pitch, and the ball broke loose to him, and he was he was in a I don't know what he was, he was daydreaming about something, and it was almost like oh yeah, I'm in the middle of a match, and he had to go and get it. So that's the only only one sort of blight on the real blight on the performance for me, but. Yeah, for me that 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 is the squad that that starts against Newcastle. Um, they've they've done what they've had to do. They've given themselves a chance so they can go into that game with, with a bit of extra confidence. And at this stage of the season, that counts for a load. What they have to do is start the game better. They cannot concede early. Um, it was almost comical, really. You've spent everyone spent the day sort of saying how important this game is, how everyone was nervous from the minute they woke up, and then within four or five minutes we're one 0 behind. You can't do that again um, Newcastle are no slouches we heard uh, Chris talking about Alan Sam Masserman and how good he is um, he will be licking his lips at the prospect of a, of a leaky Watford defence but all to play for all to play for and yep yeah, that, that team starts again for me and we'll see what happens on Saturday lunchtime and we'll be back right after that chat about the glory hornets as we can now call them because hey we've won a game of football uh, it's been a while the last one was a pretty good win, but still, it's been a while since Watford have, have, have got three points. Thank you very much, Jason. Thank you. And thank you, Mike. Thank you, and thank you, everyone, for sticking with me. I am aware that for the last month or so, I've sounded ridiculously miserable. Glad to be um, speaking in a much more positive frame of mind. Thank you to everyone for uh, for allowing me to voice my uh, disapproval over the last uh, couple of weeks. But yes, thank you, John. Thank you, Jace. Well done, Watford. Really pleased with that. You all. Thanks for listening, and come on, you all. Thank you.